Welcome to the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. That's right, we are rudderless again. Brian Christofferson and I just turning circles in the water here without our captain this week. Brian, are we going to be able to get this done? At least we have all our fingers. Uh, I see that you didn't blow anything off last night on the 4th. I didn't. I uh, I also appreciated the well-timed thunderstorm at about 10 p.m. last night. Yeah. I, I don't want to say I'm the guy like, you know, looking outside through my curtains, you know, just kind of glaring at people, but I'm close to that. Yeah. I uh, tweeted about this, but on Tuesday, which was the 3rd, I was driving down my street at about 8.30, and people like, it was like I had played a song on the jukebox that didn't belong in the bar, basically. Everybody's like, <laughs> kind of looks over at me driving, like, why are you driving down our launching pad area? Yeah. You know, like, and how, why would you have the gall to drive down your own street on July 3rd at 8.30 p.m.? L- little kids, like, rolling smoke bombs <laughs> yeah. in front of you to, to make it more can difficult I, for you. Can I throw something at his car, Daddy? And they're like, yes, yes son, yes, Shoot, you can. Shooting bottle rockets <laughs> at you. Um so, I mean, all appendages are intact, which is a positive thing. Um, the voice that you won't be hearing is Mike Schaefer, uh, who is on a quick vacation. Um, but what what else is going on? It's it's like that, that awful two weeks before Big Ten Media Days, which is, I think, probably more of, a, more of an event that uh, media get excited about yeah. than fans do. But <laughs> how are you filling your time these days? Uh, well, golfing poorly, um, and, uh, still working though. You know, I'm excited about a story we're going to have on this weekend on Matthew Anderson. I'll plug that one a little bit. Plug it away. What's, uh, well, big Matt Anderson, uh, you know, offensive lineman commit from Louisiana. Uh, great story. A few of the details have been written about, but I think there's a lot more there and, uh, had an unbelievable relationship with his mom who passed away from cancer and, He's very candid about um, going through that. And I think a lot of people are going to relate to the story that have been through stuff like that. And so he's a pretty strong kid at that age to be able to speak about a subject that just hit him like that, where his mom died just this past February. Nice. And that's uh, this weekend you're looking at dropping that? We're going to drop it this weekend. All right. Mark it down. So... Be sure to check that out at uh, nebraska.247sports.com. Husker 24-7 if you don't want to type that much. Yeah, um, that's what I do. Yeah, I, I do, that, do that too. Um, so some news happened this past week um, to, to kind of break up the monotony. Uh, probably the biggest piece of news, Nebraska picked up a commitment from Jamie Nance, a athlete um, recruited as a wide receiver out of Blanchard, Oklahoma. Um, had unofficially visited for Nebraska's. They're not calling it Big Red Weekend. It was a barbecue, Big Red Barbecue. I mean, it's kind of informal. Yeah, like, just kind of a, a drop in. Yeah, pick up a, a barbecue sandwich, maybe walk around and try on some jerseys. Are you required to bring like some chips or like some <laughs> like a tray of for a fruit tray or something you think if like a recruit showed up with like <laughs> chips and salsa for us is like no nah, this this isn't our guy or is that like there's the ncaa would like crack down on that somehow yeah like these, these guys can't be providing their own potato salad yeah, there, there's, there's something wrong with like <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad that apparently uh we're allowed to f- feed the recruits uh some barbecue and stuff and that's not like a ordeal with the ncaa yeah 
so the Jamie Nance uh, brings a good side dish, uh, commits a couple days later to Nebraska. Um, was a, a kid that was wanted by Notre Dame. Um, had officially visited TCU, uh, and, and you know the the name of the game as it kind of has been with a lot of Nebraska's commits since Scott Frost has taken over his speed. Uh, you know this is a, a 10-6 guy on the track. He also long jumped 23 feet this past spring, which uh, I, I understand is pretty good um, if you're not in the track. And, uh, you know, a potential wide receiver that can take the top off a of defense. You talked to him after he committed when he was kind of feeling the uh, full effects of the Nebraska media wave washing over him. But what, what was kind of your takeaways from that conversation? I think, I think it's this feeling, and you're hearing it from other recruits, that this staff has the ability to win a championship and there's a belief that if I don't get on that, I'm going to regret it on that boat. That's how he phrased it. I want to get on the boat with frost and, uh, not a PJ Fleck boat, but he's, he's thinking like a power speed boat, you know, that can race to the college football playoff at some point during his career here. And it feels like various recruits are have that in mind. They 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 just they're they're doing the calculation. Like okay, these guys went twelve and zero at Central Florida. I bet you they can do pretty good at a place like Nebraska with all those resources. After I popped on that campus and saw all that they have to work with, why wouldn't that coaching staff be able to get me and my guys to the promised land too? And so, you know we. I guess we wondered back in December how much would Frost staff take advantage of the UCF success, and I I think that's been always there throughout this recruiting process of the 2019 class with kids, where it's it that's so fresh in their minds what happened at UCF that it's now working to Nebraska's advantage, probably the way the staff hoped it would. It's interesting you mentioned the UCF stuff. You still get a lot of recruits even talking about what Scott Frost did at Oregon. I mean. That's been the thing that surprised me a little bit yeah. is, you know, obviously Oregon is a, you know, a flashy program. It's still a brand that resonates a lot with kids. But, you know, I, I think Scott Frost, whether he's intended to or not, and, and whether Nebraska's assistants have intended to or not, there's still a really strong connection with what they did at Oregon under Chip Kelly with Scott Frost mm-hmm. and um, as their offensive coordinator that, that really is, is resonating with these kids as well. And, um, you know, it, it's it's always fascinating to me when you have a coaching change too, because you, you you have a very small window, I think, where you can sell that kind of get in now, get in the door now while you can, because this thing's going to take off. Because you, you find out pretty quickly that first year, yeah. I, I think whether or not it's going to take off. And then and, you know, you see programs like Tennessee have done it with you know every coaching change they've had, where. You know they've sold that opportunity. It hasn't worked out. I think you know Mike Riley did it a little bit uh, as well with Nebraska. What you know in the, in the short amount of time that he was there, and uh, you know I, that's always been the missing part of it to me is is at Nebraska, can you finally match up the success on the field with what you're kind of selling on the recruiting show? Because it it really hasn't to this point. Yeah. And Nebraska might go seven and I mean, say they go like seven and six this year, uh, which would, you know, if if the style of football is a certain way, people around here would nod their heads and say that's not bad. But you, it's not as fresh to recruits in that. I mean, you 
suddenly they saw you go seven and six. And if you're an 18 year old, you don't pr- always process like, oh, they're they're building. Some do, but that that's the advantage of this year in particular. Is right now at this very moment, the now thing is you were 12 and 0, and and that's huge. And you talk about Oregon. Um, and kids talking about Oregon, when I think of great programs in college football, like when I think of Alabama and Ohio State, yeah, they're going to have a star player or two. Like they'll have their JT Barrett or somebody that you everybody recognizes. But Alabama to me is kind of faceless in a way. It's, it's like it's the Borg. Yeah, it's just like robot. Like, uh, you know, this guy leaves and then somebody else that you, you're you like, oh, what's his name? And he's also a great defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Oregon, when Frost was there, was always that way to me. Yes, there was like your Mariota and occasional running back who you would know, but then you'd watch them when they're scoring 55 points on somebody and there'd be all these little wide receivers and you're like, who's, who is that? You know, it, it, they'd have like six or seven guys getting in the end zone. And so if you're a guy like Jamie Nance, you're, you're probably looking at what they're doing recruiting and you're seeing how that maybe matches up. I mean, Nebraska's stacking up all these athletes that are kind of of a similar size that are just speedsters and they're just going to, they're going to give opponents so many um, different guys they have to defend that at some point it just becomes difficult or impossible. Yeah. And and even, you know, I I think they're, you know, getting a lot of boost off of guys like DeAnthony Thomas, who, you know, was was great at Oregon, but I don't know that you would put him in, you know, the pantheon of great college football players from the last decade. I mean, maybe, but, um, you know, that, that's that been a guy that's been mentioned a lot. And, and you know, I, I think it's just been pretty impressive with how, you know, they've been able to translate, you know, what they've done in the past to now because I, I, it just doesn't always – it really resonate with guys. What I like most about Nance's thing, and I think had to encourage Nebraska fans, is he went to the Lincoln, and then the very next day was in Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, everybody knows the mystique of Notre Dame, and you're seeing touchdown Jesus, and you're hitting the play like a champion today sign and all that stuff. There's a picture of him in our database of him hitting that Notre Dame sign. And then, like, you know, he leaves that a day later and is like, eh, Nebraska's more what I need, you know? And so that's that's a pretty nice win when you get a. I mean, it's just one kid, but he saw two of the blue blood programs in college football head to head over a two day span, and he picked Nebraska. Yeah, and and you know the coming off an official visit too to TCU, which yep. is has a lot of momentum down there, is is turning into a big name for uh, recruits in Oklahoma and Texas. So uh, definitely a, a a big win for Nebraska, and even more speed. Um, where do we go now? I mean, that that was the the news du jour. That was the news. Um, well, we could talk about the old. Uh, yeah, let, let's get in the schedule a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk Nebraska's schedule. Okay. Because I, because I did some homework on it, and it was good for me. It was educational to go through and ra- it was a. I did a schedule difficulty rankings for Nebraska twelve through one, but also was able to learn kind of refresh myself what everybody's got coming back and so what what was the the biggest your biggest takeaway besides just you know really honing in on Troy and Akron okay here's my biggest takeaway there's I put the schedule almost into four categories okay okay Akron and Illinois are a category they're the games I'd say they're Nebraska's unless they just 
have the worst day imaginable and turn it over eight times like they did against Iowa State. I don't know exactly what Nebraska has at this table or will bring to the table, but I think they'll bring enough salsa to beat Akron and Illinois. They're not going to throw yeah. a couple pick sixes, maybe bounce I, I just, one off of somebody's helmet? I just don't see losses there. Okay, so that's one category. Then the second category, which is almost to me like the most important part of the Nebraska season, and I wrote about this, is the ones I rank 10 through 7. Minnesota at 10, Colorado at 9, Troy at 8, Purdue at 7 on my schedule difficulty rankings. Minnesota, Colorado, Troy, Purdue, I think are those four home games where when we talk about like the over-under on Nebraska's season, are they going to win five and a half, more than five and a half games? Are they going to blow past that? Look at those four games. If I were a gambling man, those are the four games where I would have every th- all my hopes attached to whatever I'm betting on. Because if Nebraska goes 4-0 and in those games and can take care of those business where you'd say, yeah, I'd maybe favor Nebraska, but it's, eh, it's a little scary. There's a little bend to that putt. I don't know if they'll make it. Um, they might drop one. If they go 4-0 there, I think they're going to get to seven or eight wins, you know, because it's, I mean, well, heck, they'd be at six with Akron and Illinois attached. Right. Um, so that's a category to me. Then their third category I had is, you know, Michigan State and, and Iowa um, and Northwestern. Those three games where I say maybe some people would pick the other side right now from what they know until it's proven that what Nebraska can do. But those are gettable games if this team has a great summer and fall camp and really comes together and is and is proven that there was more talent than showed last year. And then the fourth category is kind of the almost like the house money games, like if they do well in the others, but then you threw in a win over either Michigan, Wisconsin, or Ohio State, people would just lose their minds about it and we could start like working on the Scott Frost statue, you know. So, I'm, I'm intrigued by the the third category that you had there. It's interesting that you put Northwestern in that group because I I view that game as I would almost put the Northwestern game in the second, second category, category where that that game to me, and I don't know if it's just the regular July devaluing of what Pat Fitzgerald has done. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, Fitz. I, I like Fitz. Fitz seems like a good guy. Go Cats. Um, but I, I just I don't see it. Like you know that that it doesn't. I, I'm almost more afraid of that game if it's played in Lincoln than I am it being played up there. Yeah, it's uh, Nebraska is undefeated there. Right at Ryan Field. Now there've been some close ones. Uh, they all have been. Um, Except for, I mean, the... there there was a year or two Nebraska pulled away. What two years ago Nebraska they were losing at half, I think, but they beat them what twenty four to thirteen in a game that was really forgettable. Yeah, well, then, then there was a night, the night game up there where Terrell Newby, you know, basically dropped two touchdowns or fumbled two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah that one should have been way more lopsided even than it was, um, but. Nebraska does feel at home there in part because they have more fans. Right. And especially this year, I think how much red is going to be in that stadium this year with right. Scott Frost, and it's it's pretty early in the season, I believe. It's right? it's a uh, October 13th, yeah, 11 a.m. Yeah, kickoff. It's, gonna... it's the Big Ten special. Okay. That's the first time Nebraska's playing at 11 there out there, I believe. Yes. They did play one afternoon 
They played there at 2.30 the one year when Nebraska rallied late and won 29-28. The, the, the Tariq Allen's finest moment yep. as a Husker, I believe. Yep, and then Ben Cotton caught the winning touchdown. Quincy and Nunwa had a big fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nebraska was on their way to a six-game winning streak before yeah. uh, getting pummeled in Indianapolis. <laughs> but but I, that game is the one that I would say, you know, I, I think Nebraska's got a decent chance at pulling that one out, even though... Mm-hmm. nationally the the perspective is that pat fitzgerald because of this new practice facility is probably going to win the national championship this year <laughs> um i think it's a toss-up game yeah yeah i'd maybe i don't know i i always try to be as unbiased as possible so i was i was kind of giving northwestern the benefit of the doubt there you know they did win 10 games last year and they returned their qb albeit he didn't play very well against nebraska last season um he's got the he's got the busted wheel yeah they're 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 a team i expect will win about seven games this year northwestern i don't think they're gonna match what they did last season because they kind of they kind of had a horseshoe up their backside they won three games in overtime the some stuff's just not gonna go there that's the way they always are though they'll have that year where they pull out a few tight ones and they get to nine or ten and then the next year they'll lose those tight ones and they'll be like five and seven or six and six so they're due for that probably i mean some on one hand it could be a horseshoe up the ass on the other it's you know great coaching it just depends how you want to view it It, it's all all the perspective one of my favorite things about husker fans and media too is how annoyed they are by Northwestern. That yeah. seems to be like a very common. <laughs> I don't know if it's the whole NU debate, like who's NU or what it what it is, but um, I think people around here feel like uh, BTN really pumps is, them up. is in love with Northwestern, and it just drives them up a wall. Well, I mean, they they did do an hour long or a half hour long documentary when they made they made the NCAA tournament, complete <laughs> with Julia, Julia Louis Dreyfus and and other noted northwestern was she in it she was yeah because oh. her, her kid was on the team yeah i remember that i didn't know if she made an appearance did she like do an interview i think so yeah oh see i might check that out <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like good television to me yeah so <laughs> you've landed on ohio state being <clears throat> the toughest game that nebraska is going to face debatable but i mean they haven't punted against nebraska since 2012 that's kind of what's <laughs> tipped it their way that, that's a that's a good place to start usually is there give me the 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 game for nebraska that you think is the sneaky toughest game and a game that you think that nebraska has the best chance of winning where they're probably not going to be favored mm, sneaky toughest game everybody's gonna say troy I don't think it's that sneaky because everybody's saying Troy. Like, yeah. That that's gonna by the time Troy shows up to Lincoln, that's gonna be they are you know how they're gonna be. Sure. We're gonna think they're like the Patriots. So, right. um, I wouldn't say them. Um, I think Purdue uh, is gonna be a dogfight. I think I think Jeff Brom will will do a good job and maybe get them back to six or seven wins again and i anticipate that being a hard-fought game um colorado i, I okay I'll, I'll answer colorado just because it's week two nebraska will still be figuring themselves out and we don't know exactly what colorado is going to bring 
yet. I mean, they could be really bad. They could be a seven-win team. So I think that will be a. I I expect that to be a four-quarter game. I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like there's going to be a lot of four-quarter games. I mean, I, I know that the offense is kind of set up to score quickly, um, but it just feels like the the games that are in kind of that that third category that you described that are going to be so, or the second category that are so key for what Nebraska is going to do ultimately this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of those games just seem like, you know, it's going to be a, a one possession deal. Yeah. Um, you know, probably changing on, you know, going one way or the other based on a turnover or something like that. Right. And this isn't a sneaky game, but I had Iowa at four, which I think some people would rate them maybe it's notch or two lower. But I think that game, more than anything else, is the game that will tell us, like, how much they got really done with strength and conditioning. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you wanted to, like, give a test for Zach Duvall, like, how'd you do? It's going to be compared, basically, I think I wrote it, the before and after pictures, like when someone's trying to get in shape. Last year, the before picture would have been Nebraska in November where they just were just getting beat up by everybody. You know, guys are... It felt like we're walk, get limping off the field every three plays against Iowa. And they got steamrolled against a Hawkeye team that had a bad offensive line. That wasn't even a good Iowa offense, really. Um, but yet, Iowa has that smash-mouth style where they're going to test Nebraska's physicality on a cold day in November. And I think that game... You know, how healthy is Nebraska? How much do they stand up to a challenge like that where it's just a basically an arm wrestling contest? That one to me is as interesting as anything. Yeah, and you're going to be coming off of a, a short week having just played Michigan State, yeah. who's going to be a pretty physical team, I think, as well. Yeah, if you said, I think one of the questions you mentioned was what's your sneaky like game Nebraska could get? Michigan State might be it because I, I think a lot of people think Michigan State's a top 10, top 15 team maybe, and they could be. But even when they are that kind of team, they're not. They're usually not the program that blows everybody out like 38 to 7. I mean, they're, they play games that are decided in the final five minutes and they grind them out. And so I think Nebraska, you know, they've, all, they've never been intimidated by Michigan State even when they've had really good teams. Yeah. No, and I, I think – you know, just looking at the schedule, it's always interesting to me where games fall. You know, like, for example, that Northwestern game, that, that's the week that's in the middle of a two-game road swing there where you have to go to Wisconsin the week before that. You kind of wonder, you know, how, how physically ta- – I mean, that's going to be another test for Zach Duvall is kind of how those guys stand up to Wisconsin and how they bounce back from that. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously Ohio State – based on history, I think is the toughest game also where it's played. But in just looking at what Wisconsin's got coming back and, you know, they, they really don't – they lose Fumagalli, I, th- I think, is pretty much their yeah. only guy that they're losing on offense. And, you know, the, the defense has some question marks, and I don't think it's going to be as good as they've been in the past. But that's going to be a pretty strong test for that defense that week. On paper, just with who's coming back, Wisconsin – has more knowns on the top line than Ohio State does, actually. Mm. But your people would probably put Ohio State above them just because they assume Ohio State's going to replace whoever right. left with another. They've got some dudes. NFL pick, you right. know. Okay, here's one for you though of of games in the top category, which would be Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan. 
is there one there you'd say, okay, I could see Nebraska pulling that thing off? Michigan's interesting to me for a couple reasons. It's early in the season. You've had a lot of changeover at Michigan on that coaching staff, and you always kind of wonder early in the year, are you catching a, a program like that at the right time? They're going to be really good defensively, I think. Um, they were good last year. Uh, offensively, they, they've got some guys. You've got Shea Patterson that's probably going to be your starting quarterback that everybody likes. But, um, you know, it, Michigan, to me, th- that environment, there's a lot of people. It's the big house. But it, it's never really seemed like it's that loud in, in the tr- – you know, for – It's not. It's so spread out yeah. at the stadium. So I don't maybe that's one game where Nebraska goes up there, um, really ready to play that game, and and you know takes it from from Michigan. I, I think, I think all three of those games are going to be tough, no matter what. I, Ohio State, I think, is going to be, that's like the house of horrors for Nebraska. Um, you know, Wisconsin, I think, is is going to be able to to really create some issues for Nebraska, but. I guess Michigan, just because they there's some unknowns that they've got there that maybe won't have been addressed by that point in the schedule. If Husker fans haven't been to the big house, I don't know what you thought. The first time I ever went there, what stood out to me was actually, and this isn't being disrespectful because it's a cool stadium, but I didn't see it until we were right next to it. Like It doesn't <clears throat> pop out at you mm-hmm. on the landscape because it's not that high off the ground because it is so spread out and that's I think why it's not that loud in there sometimes you know it's not like on top of you even like Memorial Stadium is Um, now I'm sure like for the biggest of games it can get pretty intense in there sure but uh, I would say Wisconsin I think to the question just because I've I've at least I've seen examples I mean even last year as much as Wisconsin bloodied Nebraska in the mouth in the second half of that game. In the first half, Nebraska gave away an opportunity to be ahead by like 10 points at halftime. And so the when we talk about this schedule, what's hard to know is like how are teams going to respond? People can say what they will about Scott Frost's quote about them having to modify to Nebraska, but they are going to have to adjust to just a different type of offense that – they don't see everywhere some of these teams and i wonder i wonder how that's going to look yeah that's it's not a you don't call it a gimmick offense but just based on what you see week to week in the big 10 i mean who would really present those kinds of issues i mean ohio state runs an offense that's probably similar mm-hmm. uh penn state maybe i mean they, they they do a little bit with the quarterback run game but i mean it's it's pretty especially in the west for, for kind of how they do things. It's pretty unique. Yeah, that's where it makes it hard to predict Nebraska. You don't know how quickly is Nebraska's quarterback, whoever wins the job, going to rise to the level where he's just a problem for defenses. Can that happen this year, or is that a year away? And how much will Nebraska's pace of play impact teams that they they play? And also, you know, can Nebraska sustain some drives playing that? The, we could look at it the opposite way. Let's say they want to play fast and do some of this stuff, but they struggle at first on offense, sort of like they did their first year at UCF, and you're giving the ball back to these teams that just run it down your throat. That's going to be a tough day for your defense if they're on the field all game. Yeah, for sure. 
and it's I was kind of going through Wisconsin's schedule today too. Um, they go into that Nebraska game off a of bye week, yeah. which is tough. But you've got Michigan for them the, the following weekend, so maybe you uh, get them looking ahead a little bit. I don't know. Yep, uh, Michigan. When Nebraska goes to Michigan on September twenty second, that'll be one of the most interested like in season like regular season Husker games to me in a long time. I'll just be fascinated to see how they stack up. Mm-hmm. Like I could see almost anything under the sun happening in that game. Yeah. Well, and I think that'll be a good test really for where this team is at mentally because I mean that that's a the type of game that you know across coaching staffs that Nebraska really hasn't gone in and played particularly well in those types of settings against that type of opponent. So mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that that's where things have to turn around for Scott Frost and the staff. Here's a question for you to lead us into our other subject we were going to hit on. Okay. Who will be Nebraska's main running back that day, and who will be the, the guy, like, second behind him? I, I feel like for the Michigan game, mm-hmm. I think it'll be Greg Bell's going to be your main guy. The guy behind him, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that – Greg Bell, based on what he showed in the spring and the fact that he was very much targeted for this offense, uh, is going to be the guy. Um, who fills in behind him? I have no idea. Who do you think it's going to be? I have a feeling a guy like uh, Mikhail Wilbon. Um is going to have a say in things. I don't know. Um, there's kind of this competition like between McHale and Devine. I feel like they they one of those guys is going to get used, and then the other one maybe drifts into the background and you don't hear much about. Um, and I guess I would I would pick McHale. And I, I always hate to do that to Devine because the thing with Ozigbo is he'll get counted out, and then he'll – pop up and have a game or a run where you're like oh that was pretty good you know he's kind of that guy and so if he had a camp where he was just in great shape and he was giving those sort of runs all the time who knows i mean maybe he maybe he knocks down that door and is is that second guy jalen bradley um interests me um but I just I don't know where to put him yet, and then we don't know yet on Maurice Washington. I kind of am not including him in the thought process just yet. But I agree with you, Greg Bell's a top guy, and I don't think that's based off just the media wanting this, just throwing that out there. I think all the clues have been there. I think the way the coaches talked in the spring and Frost talked about him, and then he was on the red offense with the number one team during the spring game. Right. Does, does Miles Jones have a say in that for you? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, I've probably hit the Miles Jones train as much as anybody. And I, now, what I don't know is how that breaks down between receiver and running back, like where those reps are at. But he he definitely seems like a guy, I've always kind of based it off on signing day. Ryan Held was saying, telling a group of fans like, yeah, he's a guy we'd expect to play right away. So they've made no bones about it. They think he fits just like Otis Anderson did at UCF. Yeah, well, especially with the red shirt rule. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a guy that they're going to give every chance, I think, in those first four games to to show what he can do. The side, Yeah, the sidebar is, like, when you look at the stat sheet against Akron in Colorado, 
how many of those carries come from actual running backs? How many come from like Tyjon Lindsay, Miles Jones, maybe lined up as a wide receiver, um, stuff like that. That that's what'll be one of those little. There's all sorts of those little sidebars though with this offense, where you're curious like how the stats might look different than they have in the past, and how we have to adjust our thinking about some things. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you're talking about Divino Zigbo and. He's kind of had like a an Amani Cross type career to him. Where Very like similar. you he'll have these great games disappear, and then I mean you go back to the struggles that Nebraska had running the screen game the last three years. I mean I thought Amani Cross, you know, by and far, or not Amani Cross, sorry, uh, Ozigbo. Ozigbo was the best guy. Uh, you know, as a receiver out of the backfield for Nebraska, and I, I think that's something that might work in his favor if he can show mm-hmm. he can do it. But yeah. I mean, you know, I guess the uh, the football off the helmet probably wasn't his fault, but um, <laughs> you know, he can show he's, he's got he good can, hands. Yeah, he does. I remember when he's a true freshman, we were watching one of the practices, and he like one handed one and made this nifty move for a touchdown, and I thought, man, that's this guy, he he'll do some stuff sometimes where he'll he'll tease you and you'll be like, this guy needs to be on the field more. And you're, it is very much like Amani Cross. That's a pretty good comparison. And um, Ozigbo's a, you know, he, the thing I like about him is I he's a he's a hardworking kid, and I think he, you know, even though it's been frustrating at times, I think he's been able to reset himself every year with this idea like I'm going to attack this and maybe this is the year I break through and I from afar he seems like he might be in that mindset again here for his final year. Yeah. The uh he both he and Mikhail Wilbon, I think I, I mean I don't think I'm probably putting words in their mouth, but I I feel I don't know that they felt like they got a fair shake. Yeah, the last couple of years. And Wilbon, I mean, I guess why I mentioned him is I think of some runs he had last year where there was no blocking at all. And he, I mean, maybe it was a two-yard. There was like a third and one or fourth and one. When, was it against Illinois or somebody? Do you remember the play I'm talking about yeah. where it was mm-hmm. not blocked at all? And he just made a tremendous play, effort play to get like two or three yards. And he had a collection of plays like that where I wonder like if he was with in an offense that had a defense on its heels and also had some better blocking, he might, he might do some stuff we didn't know he could do. Do you think that that the success of that group is a, what would you kind of put, I guess, how would you weight it in how, what, what's going to work for them? Because you've got, you know, this core of running backs, you've got a lot of options there. And then on the other hand, you've got an offensive line that, performed really poorly last year i mean that they need a bigger year i mean how how much how much better do you think that line is going to be this year because i think that question will answer a lot of questions about the running backs well they've got to be a little better just because i don't think there's much a different option i mean they were they struggled so much last year that the only way they can go is up but that Nebraska football's got to get back to where it's third down and two, and you don't expect that they're going to get stuffed or that they're going to have to throw the ball. And sometimes Riley and his staff would get 
would take some flack because they'd want to throw it or something in those situations where it's third and three or less. But I also understood why they felt they had to and why Danny Langsdorf was sometimes handcuffed because his O-line was stinking it up, you mm-hmm. know, and he would try to talk around it as best he could in the post game sometimes. But if you have no faith in your front five to move those guys, what that you're in trouble. I mean, you're, you're going to have to rely on your QB making plays all, all day long. Um, and the running backs making exceptional runs, um, like 2014, Amir Abdullah had some amazing games, and there was some decent blocking in some of them. But if you actually go back and look at it, a lot of it's Amir's greatness. You that know? Miami game, yeah, in particular, is one that comes to mind where he was making a lot of his own yards. I remember I wrote in a game story right away because it—you don't have the chance to go back and look at it yet—where the O line just kind of dominated Miami. I like wrote that, and then I went back and watched it the next day, and I was like, no, that's not really what happened. <laughs> it was the it was a mere just being incredible, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I, and the big number I think that is really important for this running back group is, or can they create big plays? I mean, the JD Spielman had the long run last year for Nebraska from from scrimmage. Um, that was a group that didn't break a lot of big runs. This offense needs to 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 break big plays to to function. That's how you get defenses on their heels. And, you know, I think that's why you're going to see Greg Bell out there a lot is because that he, more than anybody else back there, is the guy who is the home run threat. And yeah. that's what they want. And what does the QB, a QB who can move his feet, what does that do for that running game? Like even in the spring game, I could let my imagination go with it a little when I watched the defense and how they had to respect Adrian Martinez. Is he going to hand that ball? Is he going to pull it? And they're kind of, you know – Hey, they don't know which way to go. And you would some, even when Martinez kept it sometimes, I would watch Bell and the lane that he might have had too. Yeah. And there's going to be some opportunities because of, if it's Martinez especially, where those guys are going to get a crease and it's going to be who can get through that the quickest and turn a four yard play into a 40 yard play. And that's where, where Bell has the advantage. I don't think they need an 1,000 yard rusher. I mean, it'd be nice if he were that guy, but say like he had 850, 900 or something, and then the next guy had 500, and then you had a guy with 350. That to me is success. Like, yeah. add those up. Like, I don't care about this discussion. Does this guy, if a guy breaks 1,000 or not, that's just a nice little thing if it happens, if you can get good balance. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of how it's going to add up, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see probably three guys, one guy above the other two, and then two guys right behind him with. You know, some decent stats, but maybe not the same. I don't think UCF had an 1,000 yard guy, did they, um, last year rushing? Don't believe so. I believe, uh, I've I've written this, but you forget some of the, all those numbers you put out there. But I, I think their top guy was kind of in that 900 category. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. And then, are you looking it up? Stats, stats department, department is uh, on it. Uh, I... Killens had 790, Milton had 613, Otis Anderson, 494. Taj McGowan with 235. So, yeah, they, that's pretty, see, pretty that's good pretty, balance. That's pretty good when you add up all those figures, especially if you can get a QB for more than 600. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, Killens was averaging 6.4 a carry, so he, he was pretty darn efficient on what he was doing there. Well, there you go, running yeah, backs. There you go. We talked about them. 
we uh <laughs> another another check mark there we we've gone 40 minutes which oh man it's uh we we had slotted it for 30 um you've threatened me one but... last I, i've been giving you steely glances across the table here <laughs> one last thing uh speaking of off-season hype um james palmer jr a little husker hoops talk here okay andy katz drops his top returning players for next season in all of college basketball james palmer jr number 13 He's popped up in a couple of mock drafts for next year as a second-round pick. Is James Palmer Jr., in your opinion, Brian Christofferson, as a Nebraska basketball aficionado, a top 15 player nationally? Wow, that's amazing. Top 13 in the country. Usually, Nebraska guy ranked 13th. That would be like in the five states of like iowa south dakota nebraska yeah in what would be like the big the big 10 west of yeah basketball. he's like ranked 13th i would expect that most years yeah um i could see i i think i don't have the list in front of me but i would have to say there are probably few players who have the resume from last season that he had returning so i think that's probably fair now that the big question with him it's kind of the Turan Petaway question, which will probably pop up a lot and he'll have to deal with. But it's like, what can you do when everybody has knows your game now, like in the league? You know, mm-hmm. everybody's had a chance to play against you. There's a lot of tape on you, what your tendencies are. Can you find other avenues when people try to take certain things away from you where you add another element to your game that they can't defend? And I think that's going to be the big question. I think the the thing that'll work well for him this year is you have a lot of other knowns on the team too. Yeah. Where, you know, it, it felt like when Petaway was there, you knew he was going to have to get you like thirty a night, um, because you know you weren't going to get it from you know Walter Pitchford. Maybe would have given you ten. Um, Javon Shields was there, but you know it just feels like there's enough guys on that in that group of you know Watson copeland roby that you know it might actually open things a little bit more for palmer this year too am i right okay when Petaway was a junior or the year he blew up whatever year he was um gallegos was a senior right ray gallegos and then he was gone the next year yes okay why does that matter to me? I've always brought up Ray Gallegos. You're a big Ray guy, aren't you? Well, I am because of what he represents, and I feel like Nebraska's lacked it, where whether Ray Gallegos was hot or not, he was a guy that other teams knew he could go on a run and hit five threes in a game or six threes, you know, once in a while, and they had to respect that. And so that just opened the whole floor up that one year for Petaway to do what to get done what he wanted to do, driving the ball. I think that'll be big for Palmer, too, is finding somebody who at least, you know, when he's standing behind the arc, the other team has to respect it a little bit. And if that's not there, it becomes a whole lot more cluttered in the lane and inside the arc, and I think it becomes a lot more difficult for Palmer. You think he gets picked in the draft next year? It's been 1999 since Nebraska had somebody picked. Vincent Hamilton. Um that's always tough to say because I sometimes I feel like really good. There's really good college players, but I don't feel like the NBA like sees them as 
playing in their league. Like, for instance, right now, James Palmer is a better college player than Isaiah Roby. Mm-hmm. But Roby, um, to probably NBA guys, looks like the better prospect for the future, right. you know. And maybe that'll turn to be true this year. So I, I guess I would say no would be my prediction. But if he blows up and meets the hype, it's I would think it would be hard to not at least pick a guy like that in the second round. So you heard it here first, James Palmer Jr., not in Brian Christopherson's <laughs> yeah, way too early 2019 mock draft. That's a really well thought out, too. Yeah. <laughs> the eight seconds I spent thinking about that while you were asking the question. To be fair, that's probably <laughs> about as much thought as given to a lot of mock drafts probably. this time of year. Probably. So you're probably right in the right in the wheelhouse there. Yeah, I'd say he's a fringe guy. Fringe guy, I like and, it. And um, if he if he meets the hype, I I wouldn't I would think you would want a guy like that in your second round. Maybe you take a chance on. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's all we had. Do we have anything else? Should we get out of this thing? Yeah, it was a fun journey to take with you. I don't know if people heard, but the lawnmower man popped yeah, up. Like right on cue. <laughs> kind of gets in my head. If there was a few parts in there <laughs> where it seemed like. I was even more disheveled than usual. It was that lawnmower man just like he's beating into your brain as you're talking. He's just in the background waving the the balloon at you to distract you. I feel like he knows when we're going to do these things. Yeah. And he comes here to mess with us. All right. So that's that's the podcast for the week. As always, check out everything on Nebraska247sports.com, Husker247. Uh, only a couple more weeks till Big Ten Media Days. We've got a ton of stuff planned leading up to Big Ten Media Days immediately after Big Ten Media Days. And for the start of fall camp in early August, we are less than a month away from actual football or at least practice football where we can make grand generalizations about what we hear so yes look forward to that you can find all of those generalizations and observations at husker 24 7 hit us up there and as always subscribe to the podcast on itunes stitcher the google play store it's all over the place so do it if you haven't Uh, we'll get back with you next week with mike schaefer brian christopherson and myself